Just incredible. Just incredible. It's up on YouTube. Really encourage you to, to have a look at that. Um, God's really doing some stuff around this area. Um, it's, it's very important. It's going to come out a lot in what I want to speak on this morning as well. Just take a moment and say hello to two or three people around you, if you would, and make sure that they really feel comfortable being in church. The senior pastor here, along with my wife, we've been here 22 years now in the church. Came to our roots, got born down here. One of my, one of my relatives, uh, ancestors, a grandfather, great-grandfather, had a farm here in this district. Might have been this land. Don't know. God is good, isn't he? Yeah. Robert was uh, talking to me before, um, while we were singing that song, and he said, you know, in the prayer meeting, I really felt in that song, I was kind of saw it, and there was going to be breakthrough over people's lives, yeah. that this was to be a breakthrough song. Should I get up and say something? And I said, no, let's just watch and see what happens. <laughs> and that song of, I can't remember the name of it now, but the one that just took us away and we stayed around and we sang it. I was singing it over my children. Breakthrough, breakthrough. I can see things in their lives that I would love to see. Breakthrough, come. Anyone else, any parents like that over your, your children? Maybe you've got the need for breakthrough and something to do with your career. You just kind of feel you're marking time. Well, I believe things, things got done today. Jesus, Sandra had that, that word that she felt Jesus had been saying to her just about the breakthrough can come if you just stand still and praise me. Man, that's enough reason to praise God. Yeah. That's fantastic. Hey, I want to just talk a little bit about um, sharing our faith. And I, I reckon as a church, we're becoming more willing to share about who Jesus is to us. Would I be right? Have I got any people that are actually thinking, I want to do this, I want to do it more? Anyone actually praying that this will happen around your life? Give us a wave or a big smile. You don't have to identify yourself too much, but I'm hoping that, that this is just a growing trend across the church, that we don't want Christianity be, to just be to us. But can I say to you, Oh, by the way, Anne's going to be preaching on the 28th of, of August here um, because she's just got such a lot to give out from just the word that's built in her heart. Isn't, isn't it a blessing having her speaking into the life of the church? Yeah, amen. Come on, let's, let's encourage Anne. Isn't it a blessing having her speaking into the life of the church? It's just tremendous what the gifting that God's just prompted her to, to be able to give. But, you know, if we're wanting to reach out to people, we're looking for people that are O-P-E-N. What's that word? Not people that are C-L-O-S-E-D. If we find people that are closed and you're talking about trying to talk about something about Jesus and about spirituality, just move on to another subject. It's called Bible bashing when we take people that are closed and we try to butt head with, with them so that they can agree with us. Complete waste of time. Absolutely terrible for the person that has that happen to them. They feel just put upon. But you know, when people are open, then you can talk for ages at times because they sort of draw it out of you. Sandra had an opportunity like this just a couple of weeks ago at a wedding that we happened to be at. And Sandra was talking to three ladies that were there and they were really interested. And, and the conversation for about half an hour just drifted across various topics but kept coming back to... 
all of the above. It just kept floating back into spiritual things. You know, the longest conversation I've ever had with someone is about four hours. I was sitting on a plane, 2017, coming back from Dubai, and the person coming in who sat in the seat next to me against the window, he said, you know, a really strange thing, thing happened to me. When I got onto the plane, they said, oh, we want to take your ticket off you because we've changed your seat. You need to sit in a different seat now. And they wouldn't tell him why. They just brought him to sit next to me. And so I thought, that must be an opportunity that God's given me to talk to this person. And for about four hours, in fact, at one stage, he, he kind of woke me up in the middle of my sleep and he says, do you really think... And we went back into discussing, we were talking about his divorce and, and the enmeshment that he had with his ex-wife and, and how, how, and for about four hours I was able to talk with him about certain things and just encourage him in his life and encourage him that Jesus loved him. I hardly talked about very many things, I just felt to talk about this and leave it to the next person to take him further. You know, I was talking with Greg Morris the other day, who's the pastor at Oxford, and he told me about a, a story of, of witnessing. He said, I picked up this young fe uh, female hitchhiker um, who was heading out of town on a really wet day. He said, I never pick up females, but she was drenched. It was just pouring down. So I picked her up and I put her, I, I brought, uh, uh, she got into the car and she said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, no. She said, I'm an occult, cultist medium from China. For, sorry, from Russia. And, and he said to her, great. I believe you're supposed to be sitting there and meeting me because every spirit you talk to bows down to the name of my God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he said, I had her attention. I thought, what a brilliant opening. 15 minutes, they're, they're traveling together. She gets out. She goes around the car. It's still raining. She goes to get her, her bag out of the back seat of the car. And Greg says to her, could I pray for you? And she said, yeah, I'd love it if you did. And he said, with rain coming down, but tears falling out of her eyes and just touching down on, onto the seat that was, that was there, he prayed for her. And she looked at him as she left and she said, you have no idea of the significance of the discussion we have just had in our lives. You see, when people are open, amazing things can take place. Now, I want to suggest to you today that there are two basic approaches to witnessing. And they're governed by the person's worldview. If a person has a Christian background... If they've been to Sunday school, if they've been to church, then they will more, be more like the Jews of Jesus' day and, and Peter's day than, than the Greeks. Let me try and explain that. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 is the model if a person has a Christian background and they understand the terms and they understand what's meant by God. When you say God, they're not thinking Allah, Buddha, etc., etc., New Age gods. If they have a, a Christian background, then you're able to talk to them like Peter did to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. But if they are a secular Kiwi, like most Kiwis in our world today, in our country, they're more like Greeks. And the message has to be more like how Paul preached to the Greeks when he was in Athens that's recorded in Acts chapter 17. Let me show you this difference. In Acts chapter 2, 
verses 14 to 41, although I've taken a lot of verses out just because of the length of the text. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, when he quoted the prophet Joel, everyone listening knew who the prophet Joel was. They understood Joel. They had a common understanding of the Old Testament of the Bible. They agreed that the Bible was the word of God. He says, goes on and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when he said saved, everyone listening to him knew that they were lost. They were waiting for someone called Messiah who was going to save them. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And as Anne was talking about the cross here today, all of the Jews knew all about sacrifice. Their whole life had been bringing lambs or beasts or doves to be sacrificed because they knew they were lost. So he's talking absolute language that they understood. Are you with me? But God raised them from the dead. And remember, many of them had actually literally seen Jesus walking around because Jesus had been for a long, many weeks around before he actually um, ascended. They'd actually literally seen him, freeing him from the agony of death. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, And every Jew that was listening to him understood the word Messiah and who that was. They were waiting for him. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, at least a lot of them were, and said to Peter and the other other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. And those were not strange terms to them. Every one of them understood what that word meant, that they were sinful people. They were heading in one direction. They had to have a change of mind, which would spring them in the exact other direction and take them away from the wrong things that they had been doing. And they knew all about what baptism was, of the symbolism of of being taken from something and placed into something new. Every one of you needs to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And they clearly knew what sin was. They weren't in any misunderstanding as to the fact that as human beings, they had sinned many, many times and needed the blood of some animal or some person, some being, to be able to cover that. 
And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off and all whom the Lord your God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message and were baptized, were baptized. And about how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, my point is, what I've just been saying is that when Peter was speaking, the language he was using was completely understood by his listeners. So they weren't miscommunicating. And we've got to be really careful as we talk to secular Kiwis today that we actually communicate. They get what we're saying by the language that we're using. The Bible sums it up really well. I think it's Paul who said this, but he said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23, but we, we preach Christ crucified. So he's still preaching Christ crucified. He's not saying don't preach about that. There's only one message and the center of the message is Christ crucified. But he said it's a stumbling block to the Jews that don't want to accept him. And it's foolishness. It's crazy language. It's stuff I don't understand to people who are Greek because they don't have the context of the story. They're getting the middle. Imagine going to the movies and thinking it would be great to go and see the next movie, but only go to the middle. Come late, leave early. We'd walk out and we'd go... What a waste of money. What foolishness that was. How could I be so dumb? It's interesting. Stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews that decided, okay, we're waiting for the Messiah, but it's not Jesus. He's a literal stumbling block to them. And as a nation, they're still waiting for the Messiah. But to someone with a Greek way of thinking, it's just crazy stuff. So we've got to turn it from crazy stuff into understandable stuff. Does that make sense? And that's the, that's the issue Paul had when he went to, um, to Athens in Acts chapter 17. And, and this is what happened there. Then they took him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Aragopagus. Now the Aragopagus is, is a hill region on, as a part of a bigger hill. The larger hill is the hill that has the Acropolis and all the other temples on the top. And on the way up to the Acropolis, you go past the Aragopagus. You with me? (laughs) Have a go at those two words. Acropolis, Aragopagus. Got it? Aragopagus is also called Mars Hill. So let's call it Mars Hill. (laughs) So they took him there and it was a, a, a place, a large rock rock area with some beautiful grove of trees all around it on the way up, uh, but it was also, it was also um, uh, the name of the ruling senate for, um, for Athens. It was where the rulers of Athens actually met to do their talking and their lawmaking and all of that, so it's, it's both the place and the, and the, um, the function of that. But uh, they took him to Mars Hill, and they said, may we know... This new teach- what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know more about what they mean. 
all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And the grove of trees is still there today um, uh, on that big hill. And you can just, when you go there, it was amazing. I could just imagine people lying under the trees and chatting and others uh, on the, the large rock area that would, that would um, accommodate 100 people. It's a big, it's a big area that's, that's actually there. Um, and you can imagine them just doing this talking, philosophizing. What do you think about? What do you think about? And Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Aragopagus of Mars Hill and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. So here Paul had come to a place where he could tell the people were O-P-E. They were open, right? For as I walked around and looked um, carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now they were polytheists. They believed in many, many, many gods in the Greek culture. And in case they missed one out, they put an altar in to an unknown God. And Paul looks at this and he goes, this is my way in. This is how I can talk to them about the creator God, about, about Yahweh. This is, this is the inroad. And so he, this is what he says to you. He says to them, I looked around, I found you had one to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. So where did Paul start? Creation. And creator. He didn't start at Jesus dying on a cross and sin. He started at creation and creator. Is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not, and he'd just be looking just up, up there to, to um, the Acropolis and, and all of the Roman uh, temples and, and the Diana worship temples and all the other temples that are up there. And the, many of the ruins are still there now. How many have been to, to Athens? You've been to the Acropolis? Just put your hand up so others can see who you are. You might, might want to talk to you later. Quite a few of you, and you know the picture that, that was there. He'd just go, He doesn't live in these places up there, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And again, he goes, he's he's just quoting back into Genesis. God breathed into man, into his nostrils, breath, and man now had a living spirit. He's taking the Athenians right back into Genesis again. And, I, I, and he says, from one man, he starts to talk about Adam. And, and we could enlarge that out and say, Adam and Eve and the fall. Because unless people, Kiwi, secular Kiwis today, know about Adam and Eve, and they know about the fall of man, they're wondering, why do you need to be saved? What's sin? I can do whatever I want. Surely, that can't be wrong. As long as I don't hurt anyone. That's all society says today, isn't it? So from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit all the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. 
And I think there Paul's picking up on the verses in Ecclesiastes that says God has hidden eternity in the hearts of every single human being that's ever been born and ever will be born. We're searching for something. There's a spiritual quest. We try to fill it up with alcohol. I'm not talking personally, but I'm just talking in a general way. They fill it up with any sort of things that can try and make my life meaningful. But only God fills the spiritual vacuum that's within because it's God-shaped. And Paul's saying they're reaching out to find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So do you see the difference between Peter preaching and Paul preaching? And it's all to do with the worldview that the people that he's trying to communicate to carry. If people have a Christian background, you can talk about certain things that we would talk about in church very freely and openly. But if they're absolutely secular, raised in humanism, what are those crazy ideas? I've got better things to do. I'm I'm off to the movies. I've got friends I need to meet. I've got coffee with someone. And they just don't have time if we try to engage them at that level. But just like Paul did, if we start coming back to the core issues why they think the way they think about a creator and whether there really is a God, suddenly we have something that actually challenges the very foundation of their lives. He doesn't start with sin or Jesus. You know, in verse 18, the verse before verse 19, (laughs) which I started with, (laughs) Paul tells us, (laughs) yeah, it is pretty deep, um, Paul tells us that he's talking to the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. And the Epicureans were the Greeks who believed in, wait for it, evolution. See, Darwin didn't invent evolution. He just took the train of thread and put a supposedly scientific basis to it. But the Epicureans were the Greeks who believed in a a naturalistic... um, creation. Uh, uh, It just happened through nature. It's a product of nature. He didn't say millions of years to try and confuse everybody and give some sort of substance to it, but the Epicureans believed in evolution. And the Stoics were the the, um, Greeks who believed in polytheism. But interestingly, they didn't have one creator God. They didn't have a God of gods. They just had a multiplicity of gods who did all sorts of different things. And so Paul says, I'm going to tell you about the God of gods. I'm going to tell you about the creator gods, God. And he grabs their attention. He grabs the evolutionist's attention, says there is a God. And he grabs the multi-God thinking people. And, and he says, your God might have a place in the overall scheme of things, but he's not. The creator, God. And he begins to tell them about him. You see, before Paul could talk about sin and salvation through Jesus, he had to go back to the beginning and lay a foundation for them and challenge the foundation that allowed them to just shut him out. It's exactly the same in New Zealand today, I would contend. We have to go back to the beginning and make them see that they're Maybe there is a God. Maybe there is accountability to this life, and we're going to be faced with a God after death, and not just blackness and nothingness. You know, we need to have 
discussions with our friends and with the people in New Zealand today about the fact that our, just our bodies, let alone the entire universe and the way it works together with its awesome complexity, requires an intelligent designer. An intelligent designer is the only answer that actually fits the facts of us as created beings and this universe of which this planet is one small part and the way it works. You know, I say to people who believe in evolution, you've got more faith to believe in evolution than it takes me to believe in a God who created everything. Because there's so many gaps in what you believe that you don't actually have answers for. And today we need to explain and discuss, not explain, but discuss Adam and Eve and the fall. Because the fall explains the brokenness in the world and that, that selfishness, that propensity to do the wrong thing, that propensity to sin that is in all peoples of all races, of all generations, and always has been. We have to fight to do, to do good, but we never have to train a child how to do bad. No parent ever sits down and says, here's how to break a window. Here's how to disobey me. All you have to do. We're always trying to train in the other direction because of the fall. And far from being intrinsically good, the opposite is true. Our base nature is that we are broken. And only then can we begin to consider the message of Jesus and salvation. So why is the starting point so important? And I want to say today, I think the starting point is so important is because the world has continued to change and it's changed markedly from when we were born. This is not the same world that we were born into. Our message is timeless, but how we say it needs to change so that people can hear what we're saying. Consider how much society's changed just in the last 20 years. Today, there are philosophies that have been around for several hundred years that have been, been in the world and, 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 and influencing people of the world. But today, many of them have captured the world, or at least the Western world, completely. Our schools and media teach secular humanism. It's a philosophy that only allows for human reasoning and situational ethics and naturalism or evolution as the answer to why we exist and how it all came to being, into being. And it completely rejects any religious thinking, any spirituality, or any supernatural occurrences in the world. And, and when you take God out, it leads to moral relativism. And moral relativism is, is widely accepted in the world today. When you say there's no God, then there's no absolutes. There, are, there is no overarching truth in the world when you take God out. Why should there be right and wrong? There's no God. There's no accountability. You've got your right. I've got my right. You've got your wrong. I've got my wrong. It's all just your interpretation over mine. And this belief is everywhere today. So tolerance, I like to say tolerance has become the, the high priest of today, but tolerance of other people's beliefs and actions is paramount. And kids are taught from basic kindergarten age up to be tolerant of everything because there's no right and wrong because there's no God. 
If you speak against someone's way of life and their beliefs today, it's considered bullying and it's now becoming considered hate speech. Especially if you hold a different view of homosexuality as being not right and not natural. And if you've noticed, there's tolerance of everything except Christianity. You're discriminating if you speak against anything, but we never say, actually, you're discriminating if you speak badly against Christianity. That's acceptable in the media. And the media are driving a lot of what's influencing society today. You know, Christianity is, is not tolerated because Christianity believes in a God and it believes in absolute truth and they're spelt out in the Ten Commandments. And Western civilization for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years was built upon the Christian belief of the Ten Commandments. And then too, humanism teaches that humans are inherently good. I'll see some kindergarten, kindergarten teachers nodding. You get taught that humans are inherently good, that as a base nature we're good and we will instinctively do good if we're left to be able to do things as we want. And you, you know, the Bible, as I've already said, tells us the exact opposite, that we're actually broken and we're prone to sin. And we live in a time when governments have grabbed hold of that thinking that human beings are intrinsically good and they now believe that they know better than parents. And so the New Zealand government, along with many governments around the Western world, have taken all significant discipline out of our schools and our homes. And today, we're told that if children are left to themselves, they'll ultimately choose to be good, and we are told that corporal punishment teaches and encourages violence. And corporal punishment, discipline, and that would include time out now, Kids aren't allowed to be put into time out alone. The teacher has to go in with them. Even if they're destroying the classroom. You... Anyway, don't get me going. <laughs> we're to, we're, we're, that we're told that, that this, this is abuse. And, and the powers that be, the media and, and the philosophies that feed this, have deliberately equated um, discipline with abuse. Right. Where they're not equal. And we're encouraged as a society into a hedonistic lifestyle. And we're told the way to happiness is not by... Well, we're told the way to happiness is by indulging our every desire, especially our sexual desires. If we indulge ourselves sexually in any way that we want, we will find happiness is the message of our age. Instead of learning to control and manage our urges as the Bible teaches... We're told we should indulge our desires as much as we wish. The Bible calls that sin. But the philosophy that comes through magazines, through media, through teaching, through the UN, through, through uh, academia, through you name it, is exactly the, as I've been saying. And so pornography floods the internet when it could be stopped. Prostitution is now a legitimate career choice. Casual sex is normalized and encouraged. Marriage, which has been the bedrock of all societies for, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, have been redefined in the last few years. 
And so we're told you can be straight, you can be gay, you can be bi, you can be intersexual, all depending on your preference. And our society has deliberately been sexualized, and powerfully so, since about the 70s. It's just had a, a, a strength and, a, and a, uh, an impact that it has um, taken, taken all of us by, by, by storm and by surprise. And people today are encouraged to experiment. And now there's strong moves to take sexual identity of male and female out of our normative thinking and have gender fluidity, which is the buzzword of today, where people can choose to be what they want to be. They may be born as a male with the sex organs of a male, but if they want to be female, they can be female and vice versa and, in, and things in between. And we're told hedonism brings freedom, but it actually brings chains, and it destroys. And there's a strong ideology flowing through the Western world that says the world owes us a living. And again, it's the opposite of personal responsibility that the Bible teaches about. And social media shows that materialism and happiness are working in everyone else's life. Even if it's not working in our life, because their food looks so good on social media, and what they're doing, and what they're up to, and the conversations they have, and what they wear, it obviously is working for them, and it's working for everyone else, it's just not working for me. And these ideas and attitudes have been developing for several hundred years, but they've gained massive traction in Western society in the last 20 years. And the fruit of a society like this is dysfunction. It isn't working. But no one's saying it's not working. No one's saying the emperor's got no clothes on. All society's indicators, let's just talk about New Zealand, show that everything's ramping up. Suicide rates, drug addiction, sexual assaults, divorces, broken relationships, truancy, stabbings, murders, gangs, white-collar crime, depression, mental health issues, abortion, sickness, financial inequality. And yet so few people are looking and saying this philosophy that we're following as a country is not working. So witnessing in a Jewish way of starting with sin, that which the society calls freedom, and that which you will be severely discriminated against, or is called severe discrimination, and you will face incredible backlash if you dare to say it in, in a public forum today, is increasingly... So to, to call it sin without dealing with... Evolution or creation, God or no God, is just to be seen as absolutely, totally relevant, saying things that just belong in the dark ages. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. We need to start in Genesis. We need to start where Paul was speaking to the Greeks. Start by engaging people around the existence of God and whether evolution is fact or, or, or whether it's actually fiction. It's just a theory. It's not empirical science. It's theoretical science. We believe, we think this. And it's actually a religion. 
If you look up the definition of religion, evolutionists fall very strongly into the, into the definition of, of religion. And asking people at the ground level that we live and communicate with people, why do you believe it? What proof has convinced you that evolution is actually true? Can we engage on that level of discussion? And then help people to see that they matter to God is the next thing to be able to talk about and that they have a purpose in life. You know, evolution thinking leads a lot of people to believe that they really don't matter. If we're just an accident of chance and my life gets really tough, then I don't want to continue life. I'm just out of it. I'll, I'll find some escapism things and I'll just do whatever and take their life down some pathway that's not building what they could be in living this life. And sadly for some people, it's, well, if it's that hard, I just want out. And they take their life. And we need to know, we need to be telling people, actually, God created human beings for an adventure in creative possibility and fulfillment. You know, when when God said those words, fill the earth and multiply, and I've given you um, the rule over the birds of the air and the things in the sea and all of that, God is talking to, to Adam and Eve and to every single human being saying, you are to create your life is to bring purpose. You, you've, I've given you all the resources of this planet. You are to start with your family, and you are to grow your family, and you are to build the rules and the, and the culture of what makes your family good so that, so that it works well. And once you've populated a small um, family, then start building a town. And once you've built towns, start building um, cities. And once you build cities, you're not just trapped in your geographical area, you're to populate the entire world and you're to build something so that it's cohesive and it's peaceful and it's not filled with violence but it's filled with honesty and truth. God God didn't spell it all out in intricate detail. He just said, here's the raw material, go and do it and do it well. And you know, for people coming to Christ today, The challenge really is to redeem what is out there and to bring it back to how it should be in God's original plan. And I don't think it's impossible. My Bible tells me that Jesus Christ wins. (laughs) So we're talking, you know, you talk about, do I have a purpose in this world? Every single human being is created with potential and possibility, and we're all just a little bit mixed in in the giftedness and the dream in our heart, and we're to take that dream and we're to bring it into possibility in our family and in the context where we work and in our sports clubs, and we're to begin to influence society, not find ourselves retreating from it and beaten up by society. It's the most amazing thing that God has given to human beings. So I better draw it to a close and have the band come. So what I'm saying is there are two approaches to witnessing. And I think when we're dealing with people and and engaging with people, we need to take the time to suss out which way of communicating with them will, will they be best. And if they have no awareness of God, then often we'll have to go right back to the beginning and start at the beginning in the things that Genesis talks about. But I wonder whether for some people what Mike preached last week is something you've never thought about. 
that there are scientific answers that fit right within the biblical worldview. And I think for many people, you may need to actually just go, go listen to that message again. It's true. It's true. The church, Christians, have backed off with challenging evolution for a long time. And what it's done is it's allowed all these other philosophies to just do this and to gain a lot of traction in everyone's lives. But the way to be able to make sense of our message to people is to actually talk about why do you think there's no God? How did this begin? How did this happen? And help people who believe in evolution to see the massive gaps that will begin to grow in their answers that actually take more faith to believe that than to believe in an intelligent designer whose name is Jesus Christ outworking the plan of the Father through the Spirit, yeah. our God. Hey, I just wonder whether um, there might be someone here who, who has never given their life to Jesus Christ. And I just want to say to you, God exists. Yeah. And everything about the complexity of you and everything about the complexity of this, this whole world is really only answered in there being a God who created, not in random chance. Not in random chance. And God has a phenomenal plan for your life. And it's even greater now than it was when Adam and Eve first came because we are to redeem what the enemy and the devil and fallen people have done to our planet. And we're to begin commun build communities of love and grace and hope that just see his kingdom come down upon the earth. And the enemy would like to keep you separated from him, but you have that God-shaped vacuum within you. And you can try filling it with all sorts of things for decades and decades of your life. But the only thing that will actually fill it is an invitation from you to God himself that says, God, I need you. I want you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life. Can we just have every head bowed? And just in case there is one or two or three people here today who've never done that before, I just want to speak specially to you and say, you know, you'll know if God is knocking on the inside of your life. The Bible says it's got a kind of a door and he knocks asking to come in. Being the God he is, giving free choice to you, he says it's your choice. You can choose me or you can reject me. But if he's knocking in your heart and life today, it's because he loves you. It's because he has a plan that for you in this life that will take you on into heaven but he just wants you to respond. So I just want to ask you if you would just raise your hand and signal until I see you if you want me to just pray for you and introduce you to him this morning.